the shadows of imagination, it waits. Now is the time to face the fear. Welcome to Horror Lasagna. Embrace the trepidation. Welcome to November. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll talk about the three movies, your normal opening spiel, and then comments and, you know, just general thoughts. And then we'll just move to the next one. Sounds good. Sounds, yeah. Yeah. All right. So bonus episode time, Halloween 2023. And the funny thing is we've, we did a, Bonus last year. Now this is the third time we've got or fourth time we've gotten together for our Halloween marathon. We did last year, but we recorded everything and then it was on old high eight tapes, which takes <laughs> more effort to get into the essentially it's been sitting here for a year with me going, I really should take care of that sometime. So now I've actually started it. But I realized hmm, nobody wants to sit and listen to 20 minutes of silence waiting for us to say something. And then not know what we context, what we were talking about, because they couldn't hear all the movie or see the movie. Or okay, so doing a little different this year. We did have our marathon, and yes. we sat and watched some three really good movies. And you have your usual in-depth uh, insights into the movies, and then we're going to talk a little bit about each one without doing our full length analysis and going over different yeah. things. Uh, it is a bonus. It's fun. We love doing our marathons, so it all works out. It does. It does. And if you really want to hear last year's, just send Steve a self-addressed stamped envelope with $30 and it will send you a VHS tape in a clamshell. <laughs> no, no, no. I actually have got it transferred. I just have to go through and edit it and I will get it out. So you'll see the 2023 Halloween special bonus episode. Then you'll see the 2022 Halloween special. But that's pretty typical of how we operate. Yeah, it's, the 2022 is far more academic than this one. This was much more just, hey, let's pick some stuff and do fun stuff. Yeah. Not and that the it, last year was bad, but. No, they've all been good. And, and, you know, like a lot of the movies that I've never heard of, uh, when we watch them, I'm like, wow, I, I got, you know, I was watching it for a specific reason, not just noise in the background. Yeah. A lot of times when it's noise in the background, you don't give it the extra attention it may need. You know, uh, when we were in the band, we'd pick a song to cover. And I'm like, I really hate that song, but everyone else wants to do it, so I'll do it. And by the end, I'm like, wow, this is a great song. Yeah. It's the same here. We're watching it for a reason. makes it better. Uh, yeah. And this year, we did three movies. And we started with one because it has come up in conversation on this podcast several times. Yeah. And it was recommended to us by two famous people. And that's, you know, the whole reason it's come up several times is just so I can name drop. And that's yes. the only yes. way. So let me do that again. The story for those listening that are like, okay, what's this? So, Good plan. Uh, Colin and I went to a paranormal cryptid type conference in Rhode Island. Uh, he was doing a talk there, but the special guest for the weekend was Dean Hagland, who played Langley X-Files. So I was very excited. The conference 
was pretty much a flop. There were 21 people that attended. Wow. There were just as many speakers and vendors as attendees. And so Friday night, nobody was really there. And Dean Hagelin sitting at his table like all alone. So I'm like, you just can't pass up that type of opportunity. So I went and talked to him for quite a while. And this movie, we talked about horror movies. We talked about lots of things. But this was one he said, oh, I got a funny story about this one movie. And he said, it's Paradise or Phantom of the Paradise in the Paradise Theater. And he says, it's a 70s like comedy horror, a little bit of a musical. He's, but the funniest thing is he was in, maybe it was Winnipeg. I don't remember the exact time. One, one, one little place up it's in Winnipeg. Canada. It was Winnipeg. Okay. Yep. That every year they celebrate in this movie, have a celebration and people watch it. And it's a kind of a big fun deal for them up there. And it's like keeping the movie alive. I'm like, I've never heard of it. If you didn't live in Winnipeg, nobody's heard of it. So I've mentioned that a couple of times. So we decided to watch it for our uh, time this year. It's true. Uh, Jeff Strand mentioned it when we asked him for movie recommendations yes. too. Yeah. Which I thought was very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But, and it kind of makes sense seeing what, where he comes from and what he works on. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Comedy horror, you know, and he did live in Kent. So it's something in the water for us around here to watch this type of stuff. <laughs> we are the Winnipeg of Ohio. <laughs> there you go. Phantom of the Paradise was done. It's an American film and it was done in 1972, but it did not release until 1974 because they were making a lot of changes to it in post. It took them about two years to... <laughs> get through it all i would really love to know what all they changed oh yeah <laughs> what, you know what what did you think was so bad for this movie that you changed it this which is an improvement because not that it's horrible but this is not everybody's cup of tea and not the movie that everyone's gonna say was the best movie ever or anything yeah it's really odd when we when it was all done in price now we're heading home i asked him you know if he had a good time he's yeah and i'm like which one did you like best he liked this movie the best really yeah because and i think it's because it's so far outside of what he and i usually watch Got so it, it was yeah. more of a see colin was like wow that movie was something wasn't it and that's kind of like i can now say i've seen it but I'm probably not going to pull it up to watch again. That's his attitude. If you are a student of modern music history, you know, at the end of the 80, end of the sixties and the start of the seventies, there was this rash of rock operettas that were coming out all over the place. The who had Tommy and Quadrophenia and you had hair and Jesus Christ, superstar Godspell. Godspell. This movie is like, a spoof of that whole genre. Yeah. And as you go through it, you can actually see it. The movie opens with a band playing and they're like that hokey kind of fifties jibe. And it's like that greaser kind of thing. And then later on, you have the whole horror glam thing that you had, like Alice Cooper was doing and you had kiss and black Sabbath. And then in the end, you had just had the giant spectacle, the kind of thing that Elton John or the who would do when they were making these kind right. of movies. Um, it runs an hour and 31 minutes. So it fits the time okay. criteria. And some and, people would be saying, oh, thank God it wasn't any longer. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing against the movie, but. Yeah. Uh, it was done on a budget of $1.3 which is about $9.5 million today. Wow. 
Uh, two months after its release, it had grossed about $250,000 worldwide. Winnipeg alone has probably given it back the $9 million in the last 40 years. It's really interesting. We mention Winnipeg a lot because Winnipeg does have a Phantom of the Paradise gathering where they have the actors come and they show it on a big screen nice. and everything. But the movie actually did best in France. The French huh. loved this film. Um, so, well, they're into weird stuff. You know? They started the whole, what was that movement with the extremism? Oh yeah, new French extremity. Yeah. Uh, and then you also, you know, they're big fans of, what was his name? Jerry Lewis. Yeah. He's huge fan, huge fans of his comedy, which I'm just like, okay but it's what plays there so weird al has a song i'm a genius in france so i guess i I bet you he is too i bet they love him this fits into if for those of you for the 12 of you who are listening to this who have actually heard my conversation about uh, the horror diet this fits in very well because this was written and directed by brian de palma which you were surprised at I was. I was shocked. I didn't know. This was like his second major length movie that he did. Um, And I had no idea that he had done this. Um, Brian De Palma has 42 past projects. His first few were shorts. His first full length movie was called Murder a la Mode. And it is the first uh, major starring role for Robert De Niro. Oh, hey, that makes sense. Um, it it was I think it was comedy. It sounds um, like it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He then Fan of the Paradise I think was his second film, but he also he worked with Margot Kidder in the movie Th- Sisters. I don't know if you've yeah. ever seen that with no. the twins. Uh, he directed Carrie yeah. and Scarface, Body Double, The Untouchables, Bonfire, of The Vanities, Snake Eyes, Carlito Way. Yeah. Mission Impossible, Femme Fatale, The Black Dahlia, Passion, and Domino. He has two upcoming projects, Sweet Vengeance and Catch and Kill. I went and saw Flowers of the Killer Moon with Scorsese. So De De Palma is like that. These guys in their 70s and 80s still making wonderful films. It's crazy because De Palma is, if you research De Palma, he is actually good friends with everybody. He is Steven Spielberg's son, Max. He's his godfather. Nice. Uh, he's good friends with Quentin Tarantino. Like all the, he's worked, he worked with Lucas. He helped him write right. the opening scroll of A New Hope. Yeah, and you said that, which was cool. Just as a favor. He wasn't getting paid for it or anything, because what, Lucas is going to make any money on this? Come on. I doubt that'll happen. And he has probably been considered and turned down more movie titles than almost anyone. He was asked originally to be the director for Fatal Attraction, The Truman Show, Thelma and Louise, and Flashdance. Huge titles that just at the time he didn't feel like doing, so he didn't do them. Or he might have been busy doing something else. I mean, once you made Fan of the Paradise, you can pick and choose anything you want. (laughs) That's true. That's (laughs) true. He's a huge Hitchcock fan. Um, and he's not above using Hitchcock type themes as he's working. He also liked working with a guy named Bernard Herman, who did the music for a lot of Hitchcock films. Oh, okay. And so De Palma would use him to do music for his films. He's also well known for having doppelgangers in this film. If you've ever seen Sisters, Margot Kidder is like this nice lady. And then there's an evil twin of her who's running around murdering people. Who so, plays that one? 
<laughs> yeah. You had to stop. I, I got you. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Body doubles, the same kind of thing. Uh, he's also known for taking long, slow motion shots. Yeah. And uh, he's big on voyeuristic themes. Whenever you have a De Palma film, any scene, there's somebody watching somewhere. And it shows up in here in this movie, too. Yeah. The whole scene with Winslow's looking through the window and seeing Phoenix and Swan on the bed, that whole kind of thing. Right. And, yeah. and then you also had the one scene where that, there was that director guy watching the scene. <laughs> Yeah, the movie actually starts out kind of confusing, and this was probably the lowest point of the movie for me is right out of the gate, which it doesn't promise well as far as holding you there, but it starts out because you're seeing through Swan's eyes. You are the voyeur looking through Swan's eyes, right. and it's kind of confusing. You're like, what the hell is going on here? Once you got over that hurdle, the rest of the movie was okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's got pieces of other stuff in there that people will recognize. It does. Um, I'm going to talk about five members of the cast. Okay. Uh, William Finley played the Phantom and Winslow, same person. Uh, he went to college at Columbia University with Brian De Palma. Ah, nice. So. That, yeah. that was that was yeah that was the time Spielberg and Lucas were there too, and they were all chummy and friends and yeah. Yep. That's why they're all so close. Oh, Finley died in 2012. He was involved in 22 projects. A lot of them are De Palma. He was in Murder a la Mode, De Palma's first film. He was in this. Uh, He was in The Black Dahlia. But he was also in The Wedding Party, Sisters, another De Palma film, and The Fury. Paul Williams plays Swan. Um, And the funny thing about Paul Williams is that he's known almost more as a conductor or as a musician than he is as an actor. He's been involved in 92 projects, including Battle for the Planet of the Apes, Smokey and the Bandit, and Part 2, and Part 3. Yes, yes. Just in case. Uh, The Muppet movie, he was big on hanging out with the Muppets. Um, The Rainbow Connection, he wrote that song. Which I thought was cool, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, The Secret of Nim, he was in The Doors movie, A Muppet's Christmas, Letters to Santa, and he's got one upcoming project called My Cricket and Me. Well, so so he was in Secret of Nim. He probably fit into the mouse suit pretty easy. <laughs> uh, he did. He also did the music for Phantom of the Paradise. Ah, yeah. So all those songs. Jessica Harper plays Phoenix. She is the love interest in the film. She was at last year's Horror Fest because yes. uh, she's been in 49 titles. This was her first major motion picture role, but then she was in Suspiria. And this is the Dargento Suspiria from 1977. She is the scream queen running around being targeted by unseen forces. Uh, She was also in Shock Treatment and Minority Report. And I love it when they do this. She was in the 2018 Suspiria as well. Yeah, when they come back and she was like one of the teachers or something. Yeah, yeah. Yep. DC loves to do that with their older actors. They pull them that did something back in the 80s or 90s and pull them into the new stuff. Just some little bit. And not just a weird little cameo. It's uh, instead of being Supergirl, you're now Supergirl's mother. Yep. They give them pretty good parts. And uh, if you're going to go ahead and remake a film, the least you can do is take the people who made it successful and give them something to do in it. Yeah. 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 Garrett Graham plays a character named Beef. He is an over the top. It's a really weird combination because he's 
effeminate yet toxically masculine musician. <laughs> it's really odd. Yeah. Uh, he also wrote music and he wrote wrote music for The Little Mermaid and um, The Prince and the Pauper, Disney oh, wow. titles. Wow. Uh, he wrote the lyrics for the Grateful Dead song, Victim or the Crime, just based on hearing, um, oh man, just hearing them hum the melody. He just came up with the lyrics. Uh, he's been involved in 130 projects, includes a ton of television, as well as movies like Beware the Blob, Strange New World, Demon Seed, It's Alive 3, Island of the Alive, Police Academy 6 Under Siege, Chud 2, Bud the Chud. Child's Play 2. He's not starring in huge movies, but like My Girl 2. He was in all of the spinoffs, but he did a ton of them. He just kept working. Uh, The last guy we're going to mention is completely uncredited in the film. Rod Serling does the voiceover for the narration at the start for all of you Twilight Zone people. The Palma originally, the opening scene starts with a bunch of 50s musicians performing and they're behaving poorly because De Palma's looking at it through the lens of history. He knows how poorly these guys actually would behave. And these guys are actively doing it on stage, which is yeah, they're, they're doing a doo-wop song and they're, it's singing about raping somebody or something. Yes. So. <laughs> yes. He wanted Sean on to do that, but he found they were too annoying to work with. So he also tried to hire the Stones or the Who to play all of the music, but they were just too expensive to work with. So. Yeah, it probably would have been more than what they spent on the whole movie. Yeah. it. This is Nick Cage's favorite Brian De Palma film. That, that's wacky. <laughs> and uh, it is a f- the favorite movie of both members of Daft Punk. Oh. They absolutely, And if you look at the end, with all the glitz and the glamour and Swan there with the giant mask over his head, it fits that vibe, you know? Yeah. 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 And you know, Haglin said it's an interesting movie, but nobody's ever heard of it. And all these people say it, that's the cult classicism of it. Yeah. It, it was the target of four different lawsuits. Uh, people were getting sued all over the place. The estate of the fa- author of the Phantom, the opera wanted to sue him. Universal pictures wanted to sue him. King Pictures wanted to sue him because the original name was The Phantom, which was one of their movie titles they've already had. So he had to change the name. And again, it didn't do well in North America except for Winnipeg, but it is a huge hit in France for the French. What are you going to do? Just in all those little things endear it to my heart. Yeah, he has these. Another thing he does is that he has these literary themes. Faust is definitely the driving theme for the entire movie. 110%. But you can find literary references to the Phantom of the Opera, obviously. But Frankenstein, there's a thing. Picture of Dorian Gray is another one. (coughs) And there's a direct uh, thing of the cask of Amontillado. He specifically put in there for all the good it did for those guys. But it's like Easter eggs to all this other stuff. Cause it's not, you know, the whole movie plot isn't that one thing. It's like all put mushed together. Um, it was nominated for eight awards and it won three and of the three it won. Um, it looks like a lot of them are French. <laughs> um, one, it won in 1975 when it released one, it, when it came out on DVD in 2007, the DVD release won an award again in France. But it did win a Rondo Hatton Classic Horror Award, which is kind of like 
the Oscar for the horror movies because we won't get Academy Awards if you do horror movies. I was just going to say, because we know how often horror wins Oscars. Yeah. And again, the film is legitimately just this story. It's an interaction between two characters. You have Swan and Winslow, and it's just retelling Faust, where Winslow is Faust and Swan is the devil. With Fan of the Opera overlaid on top of it. Yep, yep. And the characters throughout the movie are very stereotypical. Swan is this manipulative bastard the whole movie through. I mean, there's no redeeming qualities to him. Winslow is this naive artist who only cares about his work. Even his desire for Phoenix, who is the female character, has nothing to do with how she looks. It's because she sings so beautifully. And Phoenix is this female artist who desperately wants respect for her talents, and she'll do anything to get it. Yeah. And then Beef was just... He was so over the top. You could almost look at Beef and say, wow, I can see Rocky Horror Picture so evolving from this character. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And like you said, it's interesting that the band goes through different phases of their 50s doo-wop up to their metal glam type stuff. And it's the same band and they act. With the same musicians. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, well, their final stage thing is just. You got to enjoy it because they got sabers on the end of their guitars and they're slicing off limbs. <laughs> you know, that, that's not the last one. Oh, that was it, the Frankenstein one. Okay. The last one's the wedding where everything starts to go horribly awry. And then there's some guy takes off his shirt and he's just running around fighting people and stuff. And you're just like, who is this guy? He doesn't really have anything to do with anything. I mean, you already have, you have Swan over here. He's dying. And, oh, here's Winslow. He's crawling across. He's dying. And then there's this shirtless guy running around, hanging out with all these people. It's almost like he was an extra. Like, I'm going to stay close to the stars. I'm going to get myself in this damn movie. <laughs> it's like the guy at the concert video that says, hear that scream? That was me screaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> The musical passages are nicely composed. They're performed, you know, they're performed well. Uh, about the only thing I can say about it is there's this really, uh, for me, this uncomfortable part where Jessica Harper dances <laughs> because <laughs> she's in Suspiria. She can dance ballet, and what she was doing out there was not ballet. <laughs> but all in all, I thought it was an entertaining film. I think it's a historic film in that it has definite influences on people. This isn't like The Exorcist or any right. kind of contemporary that came out with it. But still, it's one of those things that gets mentioned, like freaks. It gets whispered about on the edges. So It's definitely not for the casual horror viewer who normally just watches one or two a year, mostly at Halloween time. Yes. Uh, it, it's probably not going to be for that. But if you've been one of those as man i've seen everything i'm tired of halloween 27 and jason versus freddy number six and if you get if you want something that's different and a call back to other things this is a really good one to latch onto and find and if you're one of those people that likes to hunt it, yeah. i finally found it this will be one of them trust me <laughs> yeah it's also relatively family friendly yeah yeah, even the, I mean, the, you know minor amounts of 
hinting at drugs and stuff. There's smoking because it's seventies, but no real, no real nudity or anything. There's all kinds of hints about sex and yeah. stuff like that, but there's nothing overt. So, and, and even the slicing off of limbs and stuff is all. Um, it's yeah. Stuff. It's staged. It's stage work. Yeah. You can tell when you're watching it. It's very yeah. They wanted it to be. <laughs> Yeah, yes. yeah, it is family friendly, but I can't see many six year olds sitting through the whole thing saying, "Wow, that was great." Except maybe us. We w- but we're weird. Yeah, yeah. So that was our first film. That was Phantom first Paradise. One. So go, I'll put links in the show notes. To oh, that good. One. Okay. Uh, so our next one was The Void, which has a very interesting history making. This is one of those things when we do these horror fests, I don't want to go in having seen all the films. And this is one that I brought that I had seen. The other two were new to me. Um, The Void is a Canadian film. There's this, there's going to be a Canadian theme to this whole thing. It came out in 2016. It runs an hour and 90 minutes and it was nominated for five awards. And it won three of those Um, best makeup and best special effects. And the best it did feature. have really good special effects. They did it right. Yes. They didn't show you the whole creature for minutes on end. It was pieces here and there. And that's perfect. Yep. The film was crowdfunded, which I just think is an amazing new source of revenue for these young independent. We watch so many movies that you know, I always bring up the battery, how that guy basically got 10 friends with 600 bucks each and made the movie for 6,000 bucks or La Casa Muda, where they were trying to do it all in one little camera that anybody can purchase consumer level camera. And, you know, movies are definitely not what they were back in the day that as far as it doesn't need to be these $500 million movies. I thought this was a great movie. I listed up there as one of my favorite movies I've seen this year. Yeah. This just to put, throw it in a nutshell. This is the last shift. If it was written by HP Lovecraft. Yes, that's really basic. It's just it's in a hospital, not a police department. And yeah, Uh, almost the entire movie was done with practical effects. Hardly anything was CGI in this, which is. We'll talk about why that's an obvious thing here in a second. The movie's tagline was there is a hell. This is worse. That could have been better written. Yeah. But. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Somebody in the marketing department just really wanted to get people interested, regardless of what the movie really was. Yeah. It was supposed to be shot in an abandoned hospital, but the building was in such bad shape. It wasn't safe. So instead they shot it in a four in a high school in Sault Ste. Marie, the Ontario side. And it was, um, uh, Sir James Dunn collegiate and vocational school. So for those of you who like to track down movie settings, there's an, there's another map pin for you. So the fun part about this movie is that it was written and directed by two guys who are not directors or writers, which I thought was great. Yes. Steven Kostansky and Jeremy Gillespie. And here's why the no CGI rule becomes very important. Steven Kostansky is a makeup artist and he's worked on huge titles, the haunting of Connecticut Todd in the Book of Pure Evil, Resident Evil Retribution, Silent Hill Revelation, the Hannibal series, ABCs of Death, Clown, Crimson Peak, Suicide Squad, It, Star Trek Discovery. So he's worked on a ton of stuff. Yeah. 
he has he is listed for directing 15 pieces lots of them are horror style type things like some of them are like vhs 94 which is an anthology so he did a chunk of it he directed leprechaun return and i did not know this horror movie existed father's day which he directed i've seen mother's day both of them but i've not seen father's day his partner in this was jimmy gillespie and he's an art director and a composer and this is his only directorial film he's ever done at least right now he might do more he might went well but I think um, he's done music for 10 different projects, including Father's Day and one of the ABCs of Death. Um, but he's worked in the art department in 27 titles, Total Recall, Pacific Rim, Robocop, 2014, Pixels, Poltergeist, 2015, Suicide Squad, It, Parts 1 and 2, Shazam, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. And you can kind of, it's got an artsy feel to it. Yeah, and I'm going to say it's all on his head. He's the one that decided. It, it does, but it doesn't feel like an art house type film. It's right. definitely a. Uh, it could have been a big screen horror film. Yeah, and he like the kind of things he does. You have these cultists. You could do a million things with the cultists, and instead he just has them completely covered head to toe in a white sheet, basically with a black triangle painted over their face. Which is very stylistic. And I mentioned, like, when you first see them, when it's just one, it seems kind of silly. Then the guy pulls out this knife. But then when you turn and the entire forest is full of them, it's actually pretty freaking scary. Yeah. It's they what like- we've said before. Some of the, the subtle things. You know, too often pe- the movie maker peoples are trying to go for this big jump scare, this big horrific looking something or whatever. And it's really not as scary, but you get that silent guy walking behind you in the dark and you're freaked out like crazy watching a movie with somebody walking down the sidewalk and someone silently following them and showing it from the person in front's perspective creeps people out. Yeah. And they were inspired to do this when they heard Guillermo del Toro was working in at the mountains of madness and he wasn't overly happy with the way it was going. And he was lamenting that he wanted to do Lovecraft, but he wanted to do it in a new manner that really captured Lovecraft. And it's pretty ballsy to be like, Oh, you know what? Guillermo del Toro wants to do this, but we're just going to go ahead and do it. I think they actually did a really good job. They did. Yeah. Yeah. And they purposely left stuff like the pyramid. There's this black pyramid that shows up throughout the thing. And the whole thing with the cult, they left it all purposely ambiguous. Yep. So you can fill in what you want for that stuff. And if you do like Lovecraft, you know how all that stuff ties together without being directly tied together. Yeah. Uh, and this that fit very well with this whole thing. Yeah. Um, the cast, I have a lot of them on here, but it's going to run fast because they don't. there's not a whole lot of stuff. Aaron Poole plays Daniel Carter. He's the deputy sheriff in this. He's Canadian. He's been in 87 projects. He made his debut on the X-Files. And he's got tons of television appearances. He was in the Spiral film, which is a remake. He's got three upcoming projects, The Trades, Little, and Ithaca. Hmm. Kenneth Walsh, another Canadian actor. He played Dr. Richard Powell. Uh, He passed away last year in 2022. 
but the man worked. He was in 241 projects. Wow. He started in 63 on a show called Shoestring Theater. And then he was, <laughs> yeah, he was in all kinds of stuff like Phobia, Crocodile Dundee 2. Uh, he had a long run on Twin Peaks. He had a long run on a show called The Divide. He was in Death Wish, The Face of Death. Time Cop, Legends of the Fall, if you've ever seen that. Yeah. The Exorcism of Emily Rose, which is a great little horror film. He was in the 2005 remake of The Fog. The Rise of the Silver Surfer, he was in that. And he's got three posthumous projects coming up. Um, the Magic Hour, Afterwards, and Campton Manor. Ellie Wong plays Kim. She is the candy striper kind of character who's studying to become a nurse. She's been in 26 projects. This was her major movie debut. Oh, no. Her major movie debut was Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Oh, that's a very esteemed. Yeah. I mean, it's an esteemed cult film for sure. She was in the 2012 version of Silent Night, and she's got two upcoming projects, one being the new Scott Pilgrim Takes Off and something called Beacon 23. Kathleen Monroe plays Allison Fraser. She is the nurse in the film. She's been in 68 projects, tons of television. Let's see. She was in The Car, Road to Revenge. Oh, okay. Um, and she's got two upcoming projects, The Dogs, and she's in an episode of Law & Order Toronto. Is there anywhere in the world where there's not a Law & Order? Law, Deerfield. <laughs> Law & Order Deerfield. Deerfield. <laughs> Annual Fathers plays the father. The character doesn't actually have a name. He's just called The Father. And that was actually one of the things I really liked about it because, that, again, it fit Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. Feel, all of this did. But just as characters comes in, he's going to shoot everybody, threatening them all. He's in most of the rest of the movie. But you never get a name because it's not important. It's it just I like the feel of that decision. Of all the characters in the film, The Father was my least favorite because he seemed rigidly stuck in the stereotype to drive plot, which tons of movies do that. Yeah. I know it wasn't Daniel Fathers who was not able to act because he was in Pontypool, which we'll have to put that on a list. It is an absolutely out there film. He was also in The Witcher Blood Origin, and he's got an upcoming project called Glow and Darkness. Meek Biscov plays his son. Um, again, doesn't give a name, just the son. He doesn't speak at all because his throat's been damaged in the film. He's been in 13 projects. The Void was his first major motion picture. He was also in Izom, The X-Files, Supernatural, Supergirl, and The Magicians. So he's been in a lot of, he's also the only non-Canadian actor on the list. He's Danish. Oh, wow. Hence why his name's hard for me to pronounce. Matt Groening's nurse. Matt Groening, if you don't know, he's the guy who came up with The Simpsons. His niece, Amy, is in the film as a voice. She plays the dispatcher on the radio. Um, She has been in 32 projects, including my favorite hockey movie of all time, Goon, Todd in the Book of Pure Evil, and a film called Rain. I don't know if she, well, she can't just be voices. I don't know. <laughs> it's all she does. She's a voice actor <laughs> without being a voiceover or audio book actor. Yeah. She just does the voices on radios and stuff for movies. If you have watched all the movies that we have reviewed and you sat down and watched this, you would not be shocked because this movie definitely fits a horror lasagna kind of profile. 
It's low budget. It's alternatively funded. It's got a bunch of no name people in it and it's really well done. So yeah. Yeah, it was. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it is hard to get a good Lovecraft movie. I'll agree with Guillermo there. Um, but this one, I think, pulled it off well. It, it did do some of the big stuff with the portal and the beans on the other side and that. But it didn't try and actually show you all the big guys, which would have right. been like really lame. So yeah, where Europa Report did this Lovecraft nod to Lovecraft where you have this horror of the vastness of space. This does it where you have the horror of multiple tentacled entities and just seeming utter nonsense chaos everywhere. Maybe those guys should work together. Yeah. That'd be actually pretty cool. It starts with a little bit of mystery because you have the father and the son and they're leaving this house. They have this girl with them. They just shoot her dead. And another guy played by Evan Stern. The character's name is James. Evan Stern is, uh, if you've ever seen Letterkenny, he's one of the scrubs in Letterkenny. Hey, that's what you said. He's rolled. So that's how the movie starts. And like I said, the first time you see the cultist, it's like, you're a cop. There's a cop there. He's got a gun. He goes out, he sees this cultist standing there and he's trying to communicate with him because he's not one of those shoot first, ask questions later. And the guy's just there. And then just all of a sudden there's a knife in the guy's hand and he cuts the cop. And then the cop takes a step back and looks and there are just cultists everywhere. And again, the suit first comes across very silly. The idea of a horde of them is just terrifying. But they don't do what you kept expecting is rush the hospital and all that. They don't do that. They're watching. Yep. They're just there because they know everything happening in the hospital is already under control because the main bad guy's already there and he's got everything in plan. The monster design for this was amazing. Again, God, we bring this up all the time, but very silent Hill yeah. where you have a character who morphs into a monster and there are still recognizable traits of that character in the monster itself and you're like oh my god that's like that other nurse who right. he just shot yeah which by the way they're they're remaking most of the early uh, silent hill games yeah i've heard i don't have a lot of faith in konami just in general because they tend to take the what's the fastest way for us to make cash way of doing things of late but i keep my fingers crossed maybe yeah, someone's going to I've got most of the older ones, except for that one on Wii, which just a little more than I'm willing to spend. <laughs> I own all eight. Yeah, I think there's eight. Maybe there's nine. Downpour might have been nine. I don't know. I own them all. Um, played them all. They're great. Mo great games. Yeah. Are the twist in the middle of this movie about who's behind the whole thing? I didn't see that coming at all. And the reason, again, it's very Lovecraftian because it, it, his reasoning for being the bad guy and is allowing him to open up the portal, is allowing him to give himself up, and you understand it. Yeah. Uh, He's uh, what was that we were watching? Oh, it was the loved ones where you were like, when you're talking about martyrs and the bad guys are there, I can understand what they're doing. But loved ones, I don't feel any sympathy for these people. This is a case where the guy who's behind the whole thing, you're like, oh, he lost someone. And that's what drove him to do this. You're like, I can kind of get it. I wouldn't be doing it, but I can kind of get it. The only part where they did lean on CGI, and it's annoying to me, it was the absolute end. 
where you have the sheriff and the nurse in the alien land with the giant black pyramid in the background. It, it looked okay, but it wasn't that great. But the thing that drove me nuts about it, there was a television series out of Germany that's on Netflix called The Dark, or it might be just Dark. If you watch it, it's really confusing because it's a timey-wimey, jumbly kind of thing. And it's people stomping on their own timelines. It's a giant mess. But if you stick with it, you get to the end of the first season, and all of a sudden you're taken from our world to the world these people were traveling back in time from. And I was like, that looks amazing. I want to see more of that. And then in the second season, they give you more of that. Oh, nice. (laughs) That's how this movie ended. The movie ends and you're like, that world looks so intriguing. I want to see more (laughs) of that. But these guys who crowdfunded this probably aren't working on a sequel, but it would be really cool. It would, but sometimes too much or actually getting that ruins. You look at Hellraiser 2, you got hell, you got all that. And it's kind of like, of course, that was still way better than CD nipple guy from the third movie. So I was thinking of the same thing. I don't know. Somehow Sinister came up. Was it Sinister? Yeah, I think Sinister is the one where people are killing themselves. Their kids are actually killing them and making it look like the first one was amazing. I loved that movie. There were some locality issues because they based it in western pennsylvania so they were having stuff happen that doesn't happen out this in this area but um they came out with a second one and they gave the demon this hard definition here's how you summon him and here's his name and it ruined the whole thing the first one he's a complete mystery there's this seemingly unstoppable power that's killing your children, causing your children to kill you. And then in the second one, they're like, Oh, here's how you stop him. I've got to stop my kids from doing that. And it's, yeah, I get that. While it looks really pretty and I'd like to see more, it might just completely fuck the whole thing up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the, uh, Hey, let's explain the force by adding midichlorians to the universe. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> just make it a mystery thing. We don't need to know how or why. Exactly. It works. Sometimes it's better. We like that. We need yes. more of that. Um, something that did not suck was our third film. Third movie. Yeah. And I have to be 110% honest here. I thought this might blow. I had heard good things about it. So even King said he liked it. So once I started researching, I started to feel better. But we watched The Boogeyman. The new uh, one. Yeah, released in 2023. It is a U.S.-Canadian film. So Canada's got their fingers all through this episode. Here's why I thought it would suck. Because it's a, a King adaptation. Boom. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> a lot of them are not good. they not. Um, and this was based on The Boogeyman, which came out of Night Shift. It was first published in 1973 in Cavalier Magazine. But it's a short story of his, which, A, you're stretching that into a movie that's probably not good. And apparently, aside from sharing the names with the character, it's a completely different story. It, it, the very beginning of it is pretty much the short story yes. and then they extended it. So the movie is everything extended, which I didn't really understand. I just knew it was based on that short story and that's what I had heard. So, so that was the first strike against it in my book. The second, it had an estimated $35 million budget in horror. This is a big budget horror film. Yeah. yeah. Which usually means we're just going to show you the monster over and over again. Cause we can afford it. And we think yep. that's scary. <laughs> now it was supposed to go straight to streaming 
But they did it in a test audience, and it tested so well, they decided to actually give it a theatrical release, and it made $67 million worldwide. So they doubled their money, basically, just by putting it in theaters. Yeah. Um, it runs an hour and 38. No, so- uh, let me interject. That's not the only thing they discovered by putting it in front of test audiences. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. There were parts of it where the editing was done in such a way that there would be this scare. People would scream and they'd keep screaming through where people were talking. And so they would miss parts of the conversation. So they actually had to go back in and pad the space after the scare so the crowd could finish screaming and then they could continue with dialogue because the dialogue was important. I think that's wonderful. That right there endeared it to me, just that yeah. little tidbit. <laughs> so anyway. The, the third strike for this is it's a 20th Century Studios production. <laughs> and almost any time these big studios get involved, it ends up a mess. And yeah. I don't know whether they were hands off or they finally hired someone competent, but this actually was really good. It was. I enjoyed it a lot. The whole premise of extending that story, but keeping it exactly what was intended from the original short story. They did a great job of doing that without ruining it. (laughs) They actually rented out Stephen King's favorite um, movie theater in Maine and just had him in the theater with whoever he wanted to bring to watch it. And when it was done, he said it was fucking terrifying. So he really liked it on top of that. Steve's always talking about playing drinking games. If you are literarily minded, there are a ton of Easter eggs to King's other works loaded throughout this movie. We didn't even catch half of them. Oh, God, no, no. Yeah, it was actually really good. I was quite surprised. Uh, The screenplay was written by a trio of guys, Scott Beck, Brian Woods, and Mark Heyman. Um, Heyman worked on Black Swan which was nominated for an Oscar in the horror. One of the few six horror movies that have ever been nominated. (laughs) Beck uh, worked on the, Oh, Beck and woods wrote the haunt and uh, a quiet place. One and two, Hmm. which I Um, enjoyed those. See, I wasn't a big fan. Really? I I thought, because I thought uh, it was a little different. It was, I don't know. I have a hard, it's one of those things like you were saying when we did uh, the others, about Nicole Kidman. You're like, it's Nicole Kidman. I had the same thing with not Krasinski. That was his character from the office, but him and his wife, every time I see him, it's okay. Yeah. You're giant mega stars. Now I don't really care what you're doing anymore. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. That's probably tainted my like for that, but um, it was directed by a guy named Rob Savage. I love that name. Rob Savage. He's either a wrestler or a heavy metal guitar player. He's actually a British director. Um, that was the third choice. Yes. He did uh, 20 prior projects. He started with six shorts at the start of his career. He did an internet horror called Host. Uh, he also did Dash Cam, and he's got one upcoming project called Night of the Ghoul. But he's not one of those guys who has a ton of stuff out there. It wasn't some, it's like hiring Ben Wheatley who did, which one of his movies did we review? Oh, Wheatley did kill list hiring yeah, him okay. to do the Meg part two. I was like, it doesn't make a lot of sense because it's really not like his vein, but 
oddly enough, Rob Savage did a bunch of micro-budget films that were really critically acclaimed, and he won a British Independent Film Award for his initial film called Strings three years before Ben Wheatley won it for Down Terrace. Oh, nice. A little more tie into our earlier stuff. And not only that, but because of the success of Boogeyman, uh, he's landed the Langoliers remake. So he'll be coming out hopefully someday. (laughs) It helps when the guy who owned the original property likes your movie. Yeah. That's probably a big influence. Yeah. Um, I got four, four actors here. Sophie Thatcher plays Sadie, the older sister. Uh, again, I love doing this. She's 21 in that film, people. The, the actress was 21 years old when she did that film. So yeah. sleepovers with her best friends at her daddy's house is not something that she actually does. I even said, oh, I think she's like 16. I was way off. Yeah. She's done 13 projects, including uh, two episodes of the Exorcist TV series. She was in Blink. Uh, she's got a long run on Yellow Jackets. And more along Steve's line, she was in the Book of Boba Fett. Oh, yeah. She, she played Drash. Oh, nice. She's got three upcoming projects, including one called Heretic, one called Companion, and more episodes of Yellow Jackets, because apparently that's a really good show. Chris Messina. He plays Will Harper. He was born in 1974 in New York. He's been on 75 projects. He started with Rounders in 1998. Um, he was in You've Got Mail. He's got a long list of television stuff, including a long run in the newsroom and in the mo- uh, the Mindy Project. He was in a movie. Oh, I yeah, yeah, I recognize him now from Mindy Project. Yeah, yep. uh, he's also in Argo and Birds of Prey and that Matt Damon film about Nike Air. Oh yeah, recent. He's in that. Yeah, he's also in a movie called Devil. You and I were just talking about restricted set film. Devil is one of those. Love that movie. We got to figure out somewhere, some way to shoehorn that into a season. Yeah. He's got one. Just like, you should just every now and then pick some random movie. We can't figure out where to put it, watch it and save it. And then do a season of just random nonsense, whatever. I, I, that's actually a good idea. He's got one upcoming project called we're just married. Vivian Lyra Blair is the little girl in this movie. And she is the most amazing child actor in horror that I've seen since Jodell Furland. And not only in horror, I thought she was wonderful in Kenobi. And this is my bias showing through here, but I always consider kids who can act really well in horror. That's gotta be a hard genre to work in. Probably. Yeah. Especially when it's, not just run around and scream like in cooties. No, just run around and scream, have a good time. People are going to swing you around and stuff. It'll be fun. Jodel Ferland, she plays like a 12 year old who's been, who is the devil. She gets drowned at the end of the film. That kind what? of stuff, I think, has got to be hard on a kid. Just ask Linda Blair, <laughs> see what she says. Yeah, yeah. Linda Blair's <laughs> another great example. Yeah. So Vivian Lyra Blair, holy shit, I just made that connection. I don't know if they're related or not. I'm surprised you haven't asked me yet. You always ask me when I haven't looked it up. She plays Sora Sawyer Harper, the little girl in the film. She was 11 years old when they filmed this, and she's already done 17 projects. Her first film was in 2017, a movie called Band-Aid. Uh, she was in Bird Box. The Witchcraft Motion Picture Company presents the Horror Anthology Volume 1. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. 
Uh, she did seven episodes on the Fatal Attraction miniseries. Like, that needs a miniseries. And, of course, she was Princess Leia in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. Which is the first time I remember seeing her, and I said she stole that whole show. She out, she was out doing Ewan McGregor, and I think Ewan McGregor is fantastic. So You didn't pre-order Witchcraft Motion Picture Company Presents Horror Anthology Volume 1? Oh, I think my order must have got mixed <laughs> up with something else I ordered. <laughs> She's got one upcoming project called Goodrich. Okay. The last actor, I'm going to completely slaughter his name, and I apologize to that actor for that. His name is David Dasmalchian. I have no idea if that's pronounced correctly or not. He plays Lester Billings. He was born in Kansas, moved to Chicago, and studied theater at DePaul University. He is one of these bit part actors who I always love to see in movies because he is always amazing. I've been seeing him in things just because he was on the remake of MacGyver as Murdoch. So I'm going to pay attention to him now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's been involved in 82 projects. His first major motion picture was the dark Knight, And he's the guy who works for the Joker, who Batman is threatening to beat him up. And then uh, the commissioner, this guy's schizophrenic. He doesn't even know what he's doing kind of thing. Such a good job, such a good role and yeah. such a good job he did in that film. He's been in tons of television shows, including a long run in the new MacGyver. He's been in tons of shorts. He was in Saving Lincoln. Angry Video Game Nerd, the movie. (laughs) How have you not seen that, Steve? I didn't even know that exists. I'm going to look that one up now. He's one of the trio of goons in Ant-Man, in the Ant-Man movies. Oh, okay. I didn't even remember that. Yeah. Um, he's in the Belko experiment, Blade Runner 2049, Jay and Silent Bob reboot, uh, Suicide Squad, the new Dune. He was in Weird, the Al Yankovic story. Uh, he's in Oppenheimer, The Last Voyage of the Demeter, and he's got two upcoming projects, including Girls Will Be Girls 2012 and The Life of Chuck. So, hmm, okay. My very next note on this, so all I do all of the pre-production stuff before we watch the movie, and then make notes afterwards. My first note afterwards, for all the obvious big studio backing and driving this film, it was still well done. <laughs> yeah, we say we say that all the time about horror movies. Yeah, it's one of those. Now I shouldn't say it's not as bad as, but it's kind of like the Sentinel, where like, the movie's good and that's surprising. <laughs> And I kind of wonder, the Sentinel was good because the director had a very, very strong personality. He had a vision and he was going to do it. And if you were the author whispering in his ear, he was going to ignore you and do what he wanted. If you were the studio whispering in his ear, he's going to ignore you. And I kind of wonder if Rob Savage is kind of like that. If he's like this personality that's just, like, I'm going to just do this. I wonder also, because most of the horror we've watch our lower budget. So with everything going on, I wonder if they said, you know what? This isn't that big of a budget. We'll be lucky if we make our money back, but just go ahead and do what you want. And they forgot about them and they let it go, which shows again, just shut up. If you're sitting on the ivory tower in your chair, let them do their job because these people know it much better than you do most of the time. How many times have we seen a movie that is like, oh, I heard the executives got involved and rechanged this, that, and the other thing. Well, the movie sucks now. Event Horizon. (laughs) I got five syllables for you right there. But and the thing is, it's so hard because 
society right now is so driven by profit and speed. But horror movies make money. Yeah. It might take them a while, but they always end up in the black. Honestly, I don't know why big studios don't just be like, go ahead and do your thing and we'll collect on the back end whenever that comes around. Because I was reading, oh, here's how the movie industry works, blah, blah, blah. blah. Oh, that thing you sent me, maybe it was in that. And it's like, okay, by midnight Friday night, when it opens, they're determining whether it's a success or not. Dear God, I, I know there are certain movies, Exorcist Believer is one. It's in the theaters right now. I just haven't had time to go see it. I wouldn't mind going to see it, but I'll wait till it comes on streaming. I'll go back and watch the other Exorcist movies to get ready for it. Not that I don't want to see it. It's just time. Yeah, time. And there's so many movies or sometimes do I really want to spend the money and sit in a theater or do I want to sit in my living room on my own couch, which will eat you, but it's still my couch. It's a nice Um, couch. It doesn't. They're going to get my money for Exorcist Believer. They're just not getting it by Friday night when it opens. Of course, with the strike, it's been in theaters way longer than it would have been anyway. Well, I'm trying to think which movie they, that guy was pointing to. Was it Avatar? Where they're like, it made $160 million and nope, it was a flop. Because they thought it would make $250 million and because it didn't hit their budgetary number. And a lot of times they'll do that specifically so that they don't have to pay all the actors who get residuals as much. And it's, oh my God, how slimy can you be? So, so we'll just, once again, stick with what we recommend because we're independent a lot. We're young people. We're crowdfunded. These are the movies we tend to gravitate towards just because they don't have the marketing budget. Those other movies aren't necessarily better. They just have the bigger marketing budgets. Now, if 20th Century Studios wants to slide us some money, I'll be happy well, to say yeah. some very nice hey, things about you. But uh... Absolutely. We'll put your logo <laughs> on the corner of the screen. That'd be not a problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're not sellouts at all. Just This movie did a great job with pacing. They didn't overextend. They did do the uh, scary thing in the first five minutes, you know, it, but it's an American film, so. Yeah. Um, and the reveal of the monster, just so well done, just a little glitz and bits and things until towards the end. And the monster was really well constructed. It was pretty scary because they did a good job of, the whole scene was good whenever it was exposed, especially yeah. like when she was rolling the moon around under her bed and down the hall and stuff. And it would just be without... for a second. Yeah. It's there and it sees, and then it turns away real fast. So you just get to see a glimpse of it. Yeah. I understand why you're there with your date and she's screeching a bit or something. Yeah. yeah. That was designed for that without being those, cheesy slasher movie jump scares those are the worst and i thought the acting overall was really good throughout this whole thing all every the whole ensemble cast did a great job together with everything they did the only acting that i thought was weak was mean girl in high school because she was again like the father in the void she was so rigidly evil bitch just to kind of push the plot along. And again, it happens almost every movie you're going to have that. And I was actually surprised because a lot of times in horror movies, they'll put the mama, the aunt, they put this uh, horrible, yeah. annoying person in there. So you don't feel bad when the monster kills them and they get a kill exactly out of it. You said, yeah. well, she's the one that has to get over to the house to get eaten. <laughs> yep, I fully anticipated her getting eaten and no, they weren't doing that. They were just like, no, she's just a bitch. <laughs> and honestly, that her character may be the one bad part of the movie. As far as writing and that goes, you may 
down on the actor or whatever, but if they're told to act this way and here's your lines. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I I think some of her, what they used her for definitely was like you said, a little weaker compared to a lot of the rest of the reveals and what happened with the younger daughter, especially the stuff they used her for was all great. And some of that was, eh. Yeah. And that's a, that's a real important thing to note. The guy who played the father in the void, I have no problem with the actor. He's like I said, he was in Pontypool, which is a really directorial masterpiece. That was a weekly written character. I'm not blaming him for it. That was on the writers or the director. Well, in that case, it was the same people, but and same thing with this girl, like the actress who did this, I, I assume that she's a great actress and she just, the character itself was kind of weak and the direction was kind of just kind of really forcing it, hammering it. It didn't need to. Yeah. Um, But it wasn't enough to ruin the movie. No, it was a super minor point. I just wanted to make sure that the actors don't think that I'm calling them absolute trash because (laughs) you're you're working in cinema for God's sakes. And I'm recording a podcast in my basement. so. So there's our Halloween marathon for this year. Yep. Uh, and don't forget, get your self-addressed stamped envelopes to Steve with $30 to see next last year's. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what? Now I'm going to look for a VHS filter to put over it so it gets that grain on it. And maybe we'll do the lines and stuff. You know who would hate that? <laughs> Ty West. Oh, yeah, true. He hates digital artifacts thrown in to make it look like film. But, but I don't have the actual equipment to make it real i mean our vcr i was trying to dub something over for colin and the head doesn't work anymore so (laughs) just the fact that you said our vcr says speaks volumes there you go yeah may have to go to goodwill and find a vcr just to get this tape transferred they're like five bucks so you can even find the old 70s ones where it goes yeah (laughs) don't get your fingers cut in there no don't do that so all right, so this will come out here. Hopefully, I'll get it this week still because it's been a couple weeks since we had an episode. And we've got the rest of our current season fours coming out, and we're ready to go for five. And we're I'm excited for five. Season four has just been bonus after bonus. It has, We actually. had Jeff Strand. Uh, we have this. We've got our regular bonus episode. I feel like I'm missing one somehow. Oh, we did little clips from the last talk I did. Yeah, yeah. Four bonuses for season four. So look at all the extras everyone's getting for their money. Heck yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you guys, I don't want to hear any complaints. Our scripting may not be as good. So, (laughs) All right, man. So I will catch you later and we'll get working on the next season. Awesome. If you enjoyed this horror movie review, please check out all of our seasons, all of our horror movie reviews at HorrorLasagna.com. And whatever you listen to this on your podcast, or if you watch the videos on YouTube, please give us a like, give us a review, give us a thumbs up, uh, something that helps others know, hey, I like this. This is some good stuff. It would really help us out a lot for the audience and help the podcast keep going. Also, we do have some t-shirts available on the website, so if you'd like to wear a Horrors on the t-shirt or one of the other shirts we are working on, please check it out at horrorlessonthe.com. And once again, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. The creature slips from perception. Pay attention. It will rise again.